Hey everyone, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 13. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader, what should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we do that, I'm asking you readers to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. Go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and hit subscribe. Doing that ensures that you won't miss out on future episodes. So take a minute and check your settings. Today's guest is author Ed Sazeski. Ed and I have a great conversation about memoir, creativity, and his get-off-my-lawn attitude when it comes to reading. Let's get to it. Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ed. It's great to be here. Okay. Ed, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm an author. I've written a couple books, uh, Coffeehouse Theology and A Christian Survival Guide, and uh, more recently, some independent stuff called Pray, Write, Grow, and Write Without Crushing Your Soul. I do freelancing. I'm home with our kids in the mornings and uh, do kind of a, a mix of, of parenting and working and kind of running my own freelancing business. Okay. And tell us a little bit about the role that reading plays in your life. Uh, reading is definitely a, a source of entertainment. It's a diversion. It's, uh, I like to read, read a book in the evening. We don't own a television. Uh, so that's, that's really important to me to spend time reading at night uh, if, I, if I have the time for it. Um, but also just for spiritual growth, for personal growth as a writer, I like to read stuff that'll help me, you know, be be a better writer. Just you know, like if I if I like how someone writes, I, I want to read those kinds of books to kind of inspire me. Mm-hmm. Is there a place for fun reading there too? Yeah, but I guess my fun reading ends up being kind of utilitarian at times. Okay, so you double I, up. I want, I want information. I want to like learn like interesting anecdotes and. But I mean, I, I have read novels. It has happened, but it's just not usually what I my my go to. Okay, I can appreciate that. Here's how this works, Ed. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Let's start with your favorites. Tell me three books you love. Okay, actually, you know, I changed this to three books I hate, and one book I love. So <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, <laughs> that would be an interviews. interesting episode. <laughs> um, yeah, so the one I want to start with is um, uh, Brendan Manning's the, the Furious Longing of God. And I've read a bunch of his stuff. And I feel like this is the book where it's late in his career, but it's not the last book he wrote, mm-hmm. where he really refined his message and he really grew a lot as a writer. And there's a, there's a, a passionate urgency and clarity to that book that's unlike anything I've ever read from any author and especially from him. And it it really encapsulates, I think, what Christianity is about. And it's also just beautiful, beautiful writing. So I would say, you know, even if you aren't a Christian, that you could learn from his writing and you could also just learn, oh, here's what Christianity is about. You hear about different things about what Christianity is about. Like, well, this, I think this guy gets it. And, uh, and it's just a, it's a beautiful book about, about God's love and, and passion and it's written with a kind of a passion and, a, and an immediacy that really helps you feel it when you're reading it. I've read some of his works, but I've never read that one. It makes me want to run out and get it immediately. Yeah, it, it basically, I mean, like what, what, I, what happened with me is that I, I had read some of his stuff back in college. But when I got back into reading him, 
that was the first one I read and everything else I've read after that was kind of a, like a letdown. Oh, that's <laughs> sad. Were, I mean, they were good. They were really yeah. good books, yeah. but it was like, oh, wow. Like this is the book where he really, he really nailed it. And, uh, and I read his, his he has a memoir he did with John Blaze. Uh, that's really good. Uh, is that you know, all is grace? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did uh, not realize that was with John Blaze. That's the most recent book I've read by him. And that was, that was heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's an important book to read just to see like his humanity and, and how, how self-aware he was about his own brokenness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it really adds a lot of power to reading the furious longing of God to kind of see it in that light. But, uh, but for, you know, just the, a clarity of message and a presentation of, of God love, I think it's probably his best book for that, mm-hmm. for that end. Okay. I didn't realize that was the one that set the bar. What's book two? For me, it does. For me, it does. Mm-hmm. Well, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. All right. Book two. Uh, so in, along the lines of like pleasure reading slash uh, help helping me have a better career as a writer, uh, The Power of Habit by mm-hmm. Charles Duhigg. Just a, a fantastic book with really good anecdotes and stories and just really practical ideas about how we structure our lives and how we live our lives. And and honestly, like as a as a person who's a Christian who who prays regularly and who tries to practice more contemplative prayer on a regular basis, even a, a schedule, I was reading that book and I kept all all that I kept thinking to myself was, man, the the monks were geniuses because they understood the power of habit before Charles Duhigg did that. You know, they they are the kind of the first people who um, living a lot a life that's kind of based on routine and schedule, and it's like if you want to cultivate healthy habits in your life of any, of any sort. It doesn't have to be spiritual. Uh, if, if you want to eat better, if you want to be more productive with your work, like the habits that you do create these kind of triggering mechanisms in your life. And that if you can integrate one habit into your life, it becomes kind of a keystone habit that you can kind of build off of. And, and so, you know, one of his anecdotes is about someone who, uh, she changed like one habit and then she was able to implement other changes in her life. Once you kind of learn how, how change works. And that's something that I've really found to be true. You know, for instance, just running and like learning how, um, like last, last June I just started, I wanted to get better at exercising on a more regular basis. And so I, uh, you know, tried to just make several habits and, and things that kind of, you know, trigger it happening. And, and over time that, you know, the running itself becomes its own reward. So I felt like that book has been helpful for like my physical health, my professional health, my spiritual health. It's, it's been a really useful book, but it's also just a really uh, enjoyable, well-written book to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting that you're saying how many facets it applied to because Duhigg's on the, you know, like the business writers, TED Talk author circuit. Like that's where his books usually get slotted. Right. But it's interesting how wide the implications are. I love that one too. I thought it was really powerful. Do you know anything about his new one, Smarter, Faster, Better? It just came out on March 8th. Uh, yeah, you know, I just added it to my wish list. And, yeah, me uh, too. <laughs> yeah, so I just found out about it. I had been, been hearing the buzz, you know, the build-up buzz, but I really enjoyed The Power of Habit, so I'm looking forward to that one. Okay, what's book three? Okay, so book three was a really tough uh, choice. I had like, I was like laying in bed thinking about this. Because mm-hmm. so, are you trying to represent different facets of your reading personality with your, with your three picks? Well, you know, it's... it's or is it the thing like the last one is always hard? Yeah, it's a lot of things. I mean, so the book I'm going to say is When We Were on Fire by uh, Addie Zierman. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's such a good book. It's such a beautiful book. But it was like a therapy session for me. So there's almost like this hesitancy where it's like, well, maybe this wouldn't work 
as well for other people. So I'll get to that in a second. Like the book that it narrowly edged out would be um, the New York Regional Mormon Singles Halloween Dance. Which is the best title ever. Which is the most amazing title. It's an amazing book. And it's one of those books where I feel like um, I feel like people will find it anyway. It's just it's a great memoir. It's a great religious memoir, too. Uh, but what I really loved about Addie's book is uh, there's a there's a voice and a, and a, a way that she writes that I think people will either like love it or hate it. But there is something uniquely her own that really comes through you know, more than just about any other book I've read where she kind of she writes it almost to herself, like to her, you know, to her young self growing up as this very anxious evangelical teenager trying to do big things, do do amazing big things for God, to be on fire for God. So, you know, the title kind of pulling from a choir of the fire, which is a big uh, guilt laden youth ministry. <laughs> and uh, one of my one of my roommates in college was like really, really into it, like had like phone calls with the founder, like the guy who ran it, like they would do phone calls with mm-hmm. each other. And there was always something about our relationship. But, you know, I, I love him and he's a great friend. But there was something that always felt off when we were together and talking about faith and reading Addie's memoir. It was like, aha, like now I understood why I felt awful when we talked about spiritual things together, mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's this there's this um, really guilt driven performance heavy focus to religion and uh, seeing how Addie really like, you know, took it seriously and really threw herself into it and then just how she spiraled out of control and you know, what, what I love about the memoir is that it, there's such a tenderness and kindness that she has toward herself, even as she's going through really tough things. But it's not like she's just documenting like one horrible thing after another, which right. I feel like happens with a lot of popular memoirs. It just becomes like, let me just tell you about how I hit rock bottom and how things were terrible. Mm-hmm. And this is this is more of a like a tenderness and a, a fondness for herself, which feels it feels like there's like you're really walking with her through this. And there, there's something about it that feels uh, very unique and and powerful and really makes it stand out for other memoirs that I've read. And I, and I read a lot of memoir too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bought like 10 copies of that book because I, yeah. I keep giving it away. Like because um, when it comes up in conversations, I'm like, here, just take this. It was It's $9 or something, the paperback. Like just take it. And then I buy another one and the cycle repeats a few months later. Right. <laughs> Which I, I mean, I don't know if I've given away so copies of another book besides like really pretty hardcover classics that you just give people who love books because you can never have enough hardcover classics. Absolutely. The cloth bound ones. Yeah, the really pretty ones. So I'm going to ask you to share one book you hate. Do you think you can narrow it down? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm really relieved that in a previous podcast, uh, you had Tish Oxenrider on uh-huh. and she talked about how she hated Wild. Oh, and... so it's like two for the price of one. Uh, well, it was like, I didn't have to say that. We want to present our readers with, or our listeners rather, with a diversity of books that, that other readers hate. So yeah. Okay. yeah. So anyway, but I, I was kind of not brave enough to list, to list that as my book I hate anyway, but kind of for, for similar reasons, I would say Angela's Ashes. And I, I say this with the caveat that I did the audio version of it, you know, unabridged. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm a big believer, unabridged always. Uh-huh. Uh, but I did. I did his follow-up book, Tiss, as well. Um, I, like I read them, in, I listened to them in close succession, and okay, hold on, hold on. Yeah. You're not brave enough to claim Wild as your hated book, but but you can do Angela's Ashes. <laughs> I'm I'm impressed, and also you hated it, but you did the follow-up. Okay, well, tell us I everything. Felt, I felt like I needed to 
to give him a shot because it's it's Frank McCourt. You already gave him like 16 hours of your life. Yeah, and I want him back, Frank. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or probably double that. Okay, unpack it for us. Yeah, I mean, I kind of hinted at like, you know, how I judge a, a good memoir. And I feel like Angela's Ashes, I mean, it's basically just sharing this miserable childhood. And it's just kind of this like, let me just dump all this horrible stuff on you, which it's like, I feel really bad that all these bad things happened to him. But I don't know. I, I feel like it, it feels kind of voyeuristic sometimes, maybe like when you're like reading these memoirs and it's just someone sharing like one bad thing after another. Maybe I'm just too much of an optimist. That it's hard to read terrible things that happen in kind of constant succession. Mm-hmm. But it also just kind of feels like, I don't know, like it just didn't do anything for me. I just, I just felt like, uh, I don't, yeah. I, I probably should have thought about this a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to explain your visceral reaction. Yeah, yeah. There needs to be some kind of narrative or growth. And it just felt like if it just feels it just felt like a chronicle of bad things. And I feel like there had to be more to him than what he shared in that story. Uh-huh. And like otherwise it's like, well, why like why are we engaging with this? And and especially with Tiss, it's like, oh my gosh. Like it's just like, let me just talk about how I drank my life away basically and it's it's like and that's i, I don't know and i like I, I read hard memoirs i read you know about i mean like like addy's memoir is a very bracing read so i'm not like opposed to to reading stuff and, and finding beneficial stuff from memoirs that that go to dark places but i feel like you need to you need to do something with it and it doesn't mean that it has to be a tidy clean neat ending but it just feels like it can't also just be a uh, chronological recounting and yeah, I mean, there's he's he's a great writer. Like that's not to take anything away from him from his his art or craft, but just for like a book, it's like if I'm gonna like listen to someone's misery, I kind of there needs to be something more than than just the bare facts. I don't know. That's what it felt like to me. Do you feel like that book, which is often it's often cited as a superlative example of the genre, do you feel like it deserves that audience, but you're not a part of it, or do you kind of raise your eyebrows and go, "Come on, people, what's going on here?" Right. My one hesitation in saying like, well, I'm not that audience is like, I don't want to make it sound like I'm so special or sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Boy, we'll, I mean, we'll get you so, your reading so, like, police badge. I, I, I regularly find myself not reading books like like memoirs that are popular. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, like, like I loved Girl Meets God by Lauren Winter, but didn't love Still. And I know people really love Still. And, and maybe this is it, that it, it's it's really hard to, it's hard to write about kind of the darker parts of life and you know like it's you know, when there isn't like a like a readily accessible story arc mm-hmm. yeah I think that that is a hard thing to write about and so these are you know these are really good writers and and, and maybe it's just me maybe it's just I I just can't engage with that so but it's not because I'm more sophisticated that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> luckily there are plenty of other books to read yes okay so Ed what are you reading now I am reading uh, two books, and they're pretty much falling <laughs> falling in line with my kind of what I look for in a book. But Daring Greatly by uh, is it Brené Brown? Yes, it is Brené. Daring Greatly, and then One Hundred Days in the Secret Place, which is a compilation of uh, short little writings on prayer and contemplative practices. Ed, is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? Well, as a a parent of young children, I'm often at some some level of sleep deprivation, mm-hmm. and so you know concentrating is a little bit hard sometimes. So I'm, it might be like hard sometimes to really engage in a book like 100 Days in the Secret Place, where it's a little bit heavier uh, content. And so I'm I'm sometimes looking for something a little bit lighter to read, or social media then becomes more appealing to try out. 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> you know. Hi, Facebook. Uh, so I would love to have a little bit more sleep so I can, you know, maybe engage my, my books a little bit better like I used to. But also just, you know, I'm a big I'm a big uh, ebook reader. I have a Kindle and a Nook, you know, both like the, the touch kind, not mm-hmm. the not the uh, tablets and uh, <laughs> not the ones with Facebook. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and what happens is I, you know, I I'm a regular uh, visitor to modern Mrs. Darcy on the part of the site. She has ebook <laughs> on it. But, you know, you load up on all these great books for cheap and you end up kind of skimming a lot of books or kind of starting books. And you're like, well, you know, maybe I'm kind of tired tonight, so maybe I'll find something else. And so you just kind of start jumping around. And so, you know, I I love reading on on a Kindle and a Nook, but I feel like sometimes if uh, if I'm not into a book enough or if I'm a little tired, that's kind of the temptation is to kind of start hopping around different books. And Mm -hmm. I want to just, you know, plow through it, finish a book. And, and just kind of stick with it. Okay. Okay. I have ideas. First, I have a few questions for you. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. It'll be okay. We'll get to your picks after the break. Hey, readers. Before we get back to my picks for Ed, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Grove Collaborative, formerly known as ePantry. Grove ships household goods like cleaners, candles, and laundry detergent straight to your door. It's all stuff you'd buy anyway from brands you already know and love, like Mrs. Myers, Method, and Dr. Bronner's. Grove is offering What Should I Read Next listeners a special offer to try their service. Just go to grove.co slash readnext to get started. That's grove.co slash readnext. Now back to my conversation with Ed. Okay, welcome back. Ed, here's what I see going on. You chose straight nonfiction, some practical living, some personal growth, and a whole lot of memoir. And since you're not finishing books these days and you're dabbling, dipping in and out, but you want to finish, we're going to play straight into your strengths. I've got some books that are easy to dip in and out of, but enjoyable enough and valuable enough, I think, that you'll actually want to finish. But this isn't going to be easy because your choices tell me, especially coupled with your proclivity to hate all the books, that <laughs> that when it comes to your reading, you don't suffer fools. Is is that true? This is true. It's like I'm sitting on a, a, a couch in a psychologist's office. <laughs> <laughs> Reclining on your black leather yeah. <laughs> chez lounge. Okay, nice. Yeah, it shows. So we are choosing authors that know their stuff. They own their material. They live it. They're the real deal. I see that your favorite picks are earnest. They're formational, foundational topics. And so that's what we're going to for you. How does that sound? I like it. Sounds good. So let's see how these fit. Book one is The Quotidian Mysteries by Kathleen Norris. Have you read any of her work? I have probably dabbled. (laughs) (laughs) Dipped in and out a little. Wait, did she do a CD in me? She did, yeah. Okay. And a lot of the content of the Quotidian Mysteries is contained within Acedia and Me. But the Quotidian Mysteries is only 80-something pages. So, Yeah, exactly. So you can finish this one, Ed. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) the subtitle of this one, which I don't really want to tell you, but you're going to find out eventually, so we'll just out with it. It is Laundry, Liturgy, and Women's Work. But just ignore that one because this one is so right up your alley. And 
quotidian. You're a writer, so you know what that means. But to those who aren't English majors, it's a really fancy, beautiful synonym for ordinary or mundane. And in this work, she advocates for the inherent worth of the everyday tasks that can feel kind of soul-sucking when you spend Mm. all your time doing them, like the cooking and the cleaning and the diapering. And listeners may not know this, but you've written a lot about gardening. And that dovetails so nicely into what she's going here. So fantastic. Yeah. So she talks about those things that make you feel like you're wasting your time and convinces you that like dusting the baseboards or weeding the garden is actually sacred, soul filling work. So 80 pages, you don't have to have a super long attention span. And she's talking about your soul. So it's not exactly like a breezy read, but it's very readable, story driven, not at all heavy. I think it's in your real house. What do you think? All right. Let's go for it. Okay. Sounds great. Can't wait to hear what you think. Can't wait to hear what you think about the women's work. Um, <laughs> hey, I do the laundry in our house. I am, I am well, that's the, what she's talking about. She's talking about, <laughs> she's talking about the things basically that the monks did in the rhythms of their lives, you know, okay. thousands of years okay. ago. And we know what you think about the monks. I think Duhigg would approve. Mm, Although he would, he would not if you know, he wrote The Power of Habit. That's what it looks like for him. And Kathleen Norris is a spiritual writer. So it came out as the quotidian mysteries. But I think they share a lot at their root of the same same substance. Okay, book two is The Little Book of Talent by Daniel Coyle. Do you know anything about this or The Talent no, I know Code? Okay. Oh, I'm excited about this one for you. Okay, so this is a short little book. It's black and red. It has a gold seal on the cover that I think is supposed to resemble like a prize winning ribbon thing. It looks like a gift book. And I'm warning you because it's it's not a gift book. So don't look at the like pretty packaging dreamed up by some marketing department and be like, oh, I roll. This isn't for me. Right. Marketing. Exactly. Exactly. But the content is really genuinely fantastic and i hate that you know you need to apologize for a pretty package but it just looks a little kind of buy this for your college graduate for 12.99 on the end cap kind of thing to it and Mm. i don't usually read those kind of books and neither do you so this is all about deliberate practice it's been a buzzword the past few years deliberate practice is like the deep intentional really hard boundary pushing practice of your craft whatever that craft might look like that makes you better because not just any practice makes you better. It has to be the deep, sustained, hard, stretching kind. So he wrote a book called The Talent Code, and I'm not sure what order they came out in, but The Talent Code is about why this stuff works. But The Little Book of Talent is, it might be 52, one for every week of the year, Um, ways to practice, like keep a notebook, take a walk, Some of his suggestions are really obvious, but some will give you pause totally in a good way. And I know you're interested in creativity. This book is about different ways to bring creativity to life in your own way. And this is not a book. I mean, I think I probably read it cover to cover because I was like, ooh, what's he going to say next? And it's really paradigm stretching and thinking about how to get better at what you do and how to approach your own work. And just if you like dreaming of possibility and potential, this will be right up your alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also you can pick it up, be like, I don't know, let's see what's on page 34 and just crack it open the middle and start reading and see what you find. And there's, there's no order to read this book in necessarily. You can dip in and out of with no guilt. But if you want to keep going, finish the whole thing, there's nothing wrong with that either. That sounds like, yeah, that'd be a great one in case, uh, you know, little sleep deprived, need a little inspirational jolt. That could be really nice. It'll make you want to keep your eyes open <laughs> for, for better or worse. So I won't read, I won't read it before bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he, he talks about the value in doing these practices. And right. if you're, I'm easily persuadable. So I'll read his 
practice, you know, his little page for the day and be like, I need to go start that right now. He's so right. He's so smart. So yeah, you don't want to do that at 10 p.m. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting a new website. <laughs> sure. I'm, sh I'm sure that's happened. You got to be careful when you give people books with gold ribbons on the cover. Right. Okay. <laughs> Book three, I'm a little nervous about, but we're going to do it anyway. It is The Art of Memoir by Mary Carr. And nope. just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I wanted to be like, Ed, your first pick is big magic just to see what you, you know, would say. I don't know. I just wanted to find. I mean, I love that book by Elizabeth Gilbert, but it's a little mystical. And we talked about how you like the earnest, practical, forthright. And there's a book well, for I'm everyone. A, I'm but a spiritual. I'm a spiritual mystic. But yeah, when it comes to more concrete things, I'm probably... I'm probably more of a get off my lawn kind of guy. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah, exactly. That's not the book for you. <laughs> this might not be the book for you either. And here's why. But I want you to, okay, you know how some books you love, some books you hate and some books you hate, but you can't stop thinking about them and you, okay. you love to talk about how much you hate them. Mm. It's entirely possible that that is how you will feel about this Mary Carr because she adores Angela's ashes. She cites it <laughs> throughout the book. It's maybe 200-ish pages, a little more. This book is not a how-to book. There's about 30 pages in the book where she talks about how to craft a memoir. Like there, adv there's advice for memoirists. And she these pages don't come all at once, but throughout the book, there'll be a little blurb every once in a while that says this is nuts and bolts and if you're not writing a book you can skip to page 211 okay but she talks about her own journey and just as a memoir reader she talks about or she she highlights what makes memoirs work what makes them not work um okay. she has passages that are beautiful passages that need improvement the passages that need improvement are always hers and here's what she says about angela's ashes she says that well uh <laughs> so when you were talking about how you hated Angela's ashes, I was going back in my head about what Mary Carr liked so much about it. Okay. And it was, it was the voice. And she says some really interesting okay. things in the book. She talks okay. about how like every writer has a way that their talent is meant to be manifested. That's starting to sound a little woo woo, but all she means is that when you write a book, it's not going to sound the same as when yeah. Elizabeth Gilbert writes a book, even if they're both about creativity, because you're just, right. you're like, get off my lawn and she has a different approach. Yeah. So yeah. Mary Carr talks about how she is a poet. And so when she was doing mm. her writing, voice is the most important thing. And when she wrote, I think it was lit that she was, no, it would have been the Liars Club, her first memoir, that she spent nine months writing the first chapter because she had to get the voice exactly right, because that was the nature of her talent. Whereas Stephen King is plot, 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 plot. And it's all about the story and where are we going and the narrative arc and both can be good or bad, but they're just different kinds of writers. And I think as someone who has read so much memoir, you would appreciate be like the guided tour of the genre. Mm. There are different kinds of memoirs. This is what works and why. This is what doesn't. She has a few interesting tidbits. Like she's all about uh, memoirs who use the sense of smell. She calls it the primal sense and says it's highly underrated and underused and we need more of it in our our, uh, our books so that that actually sounds a little weird maybe more smelly books got it exactly right. exactly but i think you'll i think you'll enjoy hearing her point out why good memoirs are good and i think okay. you might enjoy i think sometimes you're like oh yeah that's good i never thought about it that way and sometimes i think you'll enjoy pointedly disagreeing with her opinions 
Mm, that, that does sound. But that doesn't put you to sleep. No, no. I mean, that sounds like I feel like if I could read about the different kinds of memoir, I think I feel a little less crazy for some of my strong opinions. And, and just hearing like what she loves about Angela's ashes, I think that she's absolutely right that he has definitely like a really strong voice. And that's why I felt really weird uh, hating on it, because it was like, you know, this guy is clearly a, a great writer. And, and I'm I'm right there in the scenes. I'm, I'm feeling it. I, I, you know, it's like he he does so many things well, but it's like slay off about all the bed bugs and the the crazy priests and it's just like i I don't know like at at a certain point it's just like all right we we get it we get it (laughs) i listened to that on audio myself just in the past six months okay so i've been there i did not move on i I was glad i listened to it because he reads his own work and so that was just i felt like i was getting the full experience yeah i was not inspired to go on and read the next one so i'm impressed by that yeah, well, well, that's just though not envious. Guilt. That's just the power of guilt, Anne. Do you know? <laughs> it could write a book about that, <laughs> right? <laughs> Ed, what do you think you'll read next? Oh boy, you know the shiny ribbon prize book. A sounds, chapter of each. Um, that sounds appealing to me, but uh, what, what was the first one you listed? The Quotidian Mysteries. Quotidian Mysteries. Mm-hmm. I think I gotta. <clears throat> I have to do that. I think um, I'm actually in the process of of launching a new website called the contemplative writer that's all about oh. uh contemplative prayer practices uh-huh. and it's not just geared at writers it's you know anyone could use it but it's uh particularly written from the perspective of the the challenges that writers face and um writers of faith that is and, and so anyway so like i think just reading a book about about that would be really helpful as i'm getting ready to, to do that and and uh, one of the features will be kind of like a book of the month so i'm always looking for new things to include and that sounds like a really good candidate so that'll probably be where i start all right i can't wait to hear what you think thanks for talking books with me today thanks for having me i really appreciate it hey everyone i love chatting with ed about his favorite and least favorite books and i can't wait to hear what he thinks of my picks if you have a recommendation for what ed should read next go to what should i read next podcast.com slash 13 and leave your picks and comments You'll find the full show notes right there, including a list of all the titles we discussed in today's episode. Remember, you can connect more with Ed at his blog, edsizeski.com. That is Ed, C-Y-Z-E-W-S-K-I. Don't worry, it's in the show notes. Ed's also on Twitter and Instagram at Ed Sizeski. Before we go, don't forget, Go to what should I read next podcast.com slash iTunes and make sure you are subscribed to this podcast. Thanks again so much for listening. If you are on Twitter, let me know there at Anne Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Okay, that's it for this episode of What Should I Read Next? As Reiner Maria Rilke says, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.